Empower Radio presents The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. And I am really, really, really pleased to have this conversation today and to bring this guest to you. You know, most successful species are those that adapt to change. And the same is true in business, organizations, and communities. For hundreds of years, ants and termites and vast underground fungal networks have worked together in huge cities, tens of millions strong, compounding their resources from one generation to the next with no management whatsoever. With just five simple principles Our guest today will show how these diverse and independent individuals pool their experience to create rich hotspots of abundance, resilience, and regenerative health and wholeness. I invite you to take a few deep breaths, bring your awareness into this moment, open your heart and mind, and settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce our guest Dr. Tamsin Wooley Barker is the founder and principal of Team Innovation Group. That's T-E-E-M, Innovation Group. Tamsin is an evolutionary biologist, anthropologist, and biomimicry thought leader. She is the author of Teaming, How Superorganisms Work to Build Infinite Wealth in a Finite World. Her company, Team Innovation Group, provides innovation organization, and strategy to a diverse Fortune 500 clientele with a bio-inspired toolkit toolkit rooted in evolutionary theory and living systems thinking. Welcome, Tamsin. I'm really happy to have you here. Hi, Julie. Thank you. Sure. This topic is just near and dear to me as I work with so many different organizations around the planet and... Um, Everything that you write about is just like pure gold to what we see and that we need and that we're trying to create. So this is exciting. I'm happy to have this conversation. And to begin this off, though, Tom, Tamson, we like to ground this conversation within the ethos of wholeness and a whole worldview. So I'm going to ask if you can share with our listeners, what does all things connected mean to you? Well, it's really true, uh, for one thing. I mean, everything that we do affects the things around us, and those things affect everything else. So it's really a living fabric, and, you know, if you pull a thread too hard, the whole thing comes unraveled. Um, But if we strengthen the threads, the fabric is pretty good. Mm. I think you're writing about that for your next book, are you not? I am, yes. Awesome. Okay, I can't wait for the next book to come out. But Tamsin, I think your story is really interesting. You give us a glimpse into your childhood and your passion throughout the pages of your book, Teeming. Can you share with our listeners, how did you become interested in evolutionary biology, anthropology, biomimicry? What's your story? Sure. Well, when I was a really little kid, you know, maybe four years old, I I was um, 
well, I was really obsessed with nature documentaries, but especially um, Jane Goodall. And the thing to me was that she was in the field with these chimpanzees and she went into their home. You know, it wasn't a zoo or a museum. Um, it was their home. And she humbled herself and listened and became part of their world as much as they would allow it. And to me, when I was that, you know, at that age, I, that's what I wanted most. Uh, you know, I wanted to belong. I wanted to feel like I was home on this planet. Um, and so that really set me on the on the path. Mm. Did you ever dream about living with chimpanzees? Oh, absolutely. And I, you know, I ended up working with baboons in Ethiopia. So I kind of did get to go down that path. I kind of stuck to it. Um, But yeah, yeah, she definitely inspired me to, to go down that road. Wonderful. Well, I know we have so much to talk about and one hour is not going to be enough. So let's just start. I, I promised in the introduction we'd talk about five simple principles of superorganisms, and and really they're like twelve amazing principles in five little categories. But first, let's begin with just an overview of superorganisms. Like, what okay. are they? How do they work? Why are they important? And then, how can we pattern our systems and structures after them? Then we can move into those principles. Right. Well, so, you know, of course, we're um, animals like other animals. But the interesting thing to me is, you know, coming from an anthropology background, you know, it was always, well, we're the smarter ape. We're just apes that got smarter. But at, in my studies, I have gradually, you know, realized that we actually have a very fundamentally different niche than our closest relatives. And really what we've become is a superorganism ape. You know, we we value sharing and fairness and and the other apes understand that, but they don't, you know, they don't um, operate on that the way that we do. So that's, you know, really fundamental to us, this super organism social structure. So what that is, is it's very rare in nature. You know, most species um, realize their own reproductive success based on what they do you know, for them, for their own offspring. But in superorganisms, some of the individuals um, just simply support the rest of the colony and the collective offspring of the future. So like in ants and honeybees, you know, there's only the queen reproduces and the other um, individuals support um, her reproductive success. So it's really a kind of specialization that allows the whole colony to be more than they were before. And we completely conform to that. It's very rare. I mean, there's ants, honeybees. um, There's, you know, very few mammals, the naked mole rat. It's rare, Uh, but we do it. So, but we don't, we haven't been thinking of ourselves in that way. And so I think that's a big part of the disconnect is that we're lacking uh, recognition of that structure that's inherent to the way we think and live. So really, we're not, we're not uh, recognizing our own nature in the way we're living. Mm. I don't know if I answered your question, but um, yeah. Yeah, you know, the thing that, as you bring that up, is that we are innately that, and we don't, we're not conscious of it. Right. And so I think that this is a beautiful time on our planet to bring our awareness to it and then really look at, like you mentioned, the principles of superorganisms so that we can begin to formally 
use this as our superpower in these times. We, if this is truly innate, there are so many opportunities in that. And I'm just going to start with that very first principle that you talk about, because I love this principle. We've been teaching different groups and organizations how to work with this for a very long time. And I think it is time for us to be conscious of it. So the first one is collective intelligence. Can you speak to that, Tamsin? Right. So in in most species, the intelligence that the individual has is what they have. Um, And of course, they're all a bit different and there's that diversity. But what a superorganism does, because they're all uh, sharing a purpose, they can all specialize in their own ways and be different. And then together, um, that collective intelligence is far greater than they would have had. So you know, for us, how do we uh, optimize that collective intelligence? It's it's valuing diversity, but also including it so those voices are heard. So, for for example, with ants, um, uh, I, you know, we think of them as a bit of a clone army, but that's actually completely not true. That I mean, ant researchers, a lot of them can identify individual ants by their behavior. They're that different. So collectively, they have a much greater range of um, responses, capabilities. Um, Some of them are weird, like some of us, you know, so they have a much broader range of uh, response capabilities from that. And then each and every individual within this superorganism has its unique role to play. That's right. And... um, and, and that's part, I feel like that's part of what we've, what we've lost, you know, that, you know, in the past we would be, we'd go through initiation rites where our, our, our people would recognize what's special about us. And then we would be, um, you know, obligated to give that back to our people and for our whole people's success. And now we've really lost that. We have the individualism. And, you know, that we're all unique and special, but we don't have that um, larger context anymore of, of giving it to the whole. Our, our collective sense is really eroded. Mm. I appreciate that because when, when you said that, I'm thinking of like tribes. It's easy to look at tribes and villages that were small and go, oh, yes, every person had a responsibility to the greater whole and then also you know coming back to this collective intelligence because everyone was um, expressing that unique responsibility and role then their intelligence goes into the mix with the collective intelligence and we're stronger and and better for that right that's right i mean right now there's there's you know yes there's the diversity um but we're so suppressed because, you know, we have to, con- you know, conform to norms and, um, you know, we're very sensitive to what other people think of us. And that's part of our superorganism nature. Um, but if we don't craft the cultures that uh, value our uniqueness and help us express it, then we lose so much of that collective intelligence. Um, and so I think that's our, our challenge right now. Mm. Okay, well, I have some some ideas I'd love to run by you later in the program and, and even talk to you about how you're gathering that with, with individual organizations and corporations. But let's go through these lists first. The distributed leadership. This one's really important and mm-hmm. fascinating. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. So uh, distributed leadership. If you look at um, a, not all ants and honeybees, but it's it's pretty prevalent. The way they operate is in these thro- these uh, small modular teams. So a lot of them use like a triple unit. So two of them are good workers, specialized workers. And the third one is just very social and active. And really, they perform a leadership role, but not the way we think of because they're not giving orders. But what they're doing is soliciting information um, and then knitting it together into a global picture. So it's really they're creating that systemic awareness that individuals can go to work on. Um, and uh, and how they do it. I mean, you see these ants are, are the leader ants climb up blades of grass and look around. You know, they're really knitting together a high level picture. Um, and but it's like one third of them are performing that leadership role. And compare that to our organizations where you've got one big leader and then you cascade down into leaders with less um, information and less responsibility. Uh, and the frontline workers really don't know what's going on. They're just doing what they're told. Um, and the ants have flipped that completely. Uh, and so that distributed leadership, I think, is is a key piece of um, leveraging our power as super organisms, just spreading out that leadership so that we're all knitting together this global picture, systemic information flow, and then so that individuals can go to work on that uh, big picture. Mm-hmm. I was with an organization yesterday and talking with the the frontline people, but not the leaders, because I was doing a consulting job. And the the employees were saying that they felt as if they were not getting any information from the top. <laughs> like it wasn't that you know it wasn't that that it was trickling down through management hierarchical. It was like nothing. Like they don't. That's- yeah, and they were lost. Yeah, because they're basically, I mean, the way we've designed these things is to be like machines where the frontline people are cogs that, you know, we want them to be standardized because it's an efficiency model. Um, and But now, you know, when you see like, well, for instance, coronavirus, um, that efficiency model is going to fail you when uh, things get complex and um, volatile. And you have to switch to that resilience model. And, and we are not built for it right now. Right. So just one more thing on distributed leadership before we move on is, um, and I don't remember in the book where you talk about self-organizing, but it feels like it fits here. Distributed leaders, they're also doing self-organizing. Is that correct? That is true. So, you know, um, they've done these experiments where they'll take a, a whole ant colony in the middle of the night and put it somewhere else. And they wake up and they're like, what's going on? And so they have a very um, interesting way of getting back to work. And what they do is the uh, the leaders start going out and they actually count their steps. Um, and they go in these like odd little patterns until they figure out what's going on and where the aphids are and all that thing. And then they individually take out their team to where the opportunities are. So they're all self-organizing. Um, but as long as that distributed leadership holds, they can relay all that information throughout the colony. So everyone is going to work within that shared purpose, within that shared information flow, but through self-organization. 
in these small modules. Mm -hmm. And one thing I did want to say about the distributed leadership, I mean, here's a biological example um, that I think is really relevant. It's like the octopus, you know, it's so, uh, it's the only sentient um, invertebrate that we, that we know of. Um, but how it does it, it, it doesn't have a very large brain. It has its neurons in its skin. And the neurons are located, co-located with the photoreceptors. So when it perceives something, a cell perceives something, the neuron that acts upon it is right next door. So there's, you've cut out that middleman. It's, it's distributed leadership that's happening on the front lines where the stimulus occurs. Um, so it's a, it's a similar model to what we'd like to see, I think. Mm, that is cool model. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. So we're going to get deeper into all of these, but um, I do want to have an opportunity to really presence these. And the next one is so fun, swarm creativity. Tell oh, us yeah. what that is. Yes. So, I mean, and this is really akin to that collective intelligence, um, is that we're all... Um, really, you know, the process of evolution itself is one of diversity and experimentation um, and reiterative loops of that. And so the swarm creativity that we can, it's really uh, in superorganisms because we have that shared purpose and the diversity within our colonies, we can start to um, do that natural selection process um, within our communities. So we can do more experimentation and we can be more unique. We can use our own talents, our own ideas and imagination, of course, is always really um, powerful. Um, and then um, it just produces a lot more ideas and then we can try them and we can do um, reiterative loops where the things that work increase and the things that don't dwindle away. Um, and so that we have that diversity, which leads to resilience. Mm. And you, you mentioned, like I said, there's like 12 principles in here and you do a really beautiful job talking about them. But you mentioned that the, the feedback loop, the actual communication, um, this is the piece I appreciate about most. It's like, go out there and fail and then share the failures too. Don't just That's share right. the successes. Go out and experiment and play. Put it all together. Somebody else gets to build on what you've already discovered and then share those failures too. That's right. And we really don't do enough of that because... And I think that's that goes back to that um, our failure to recognize that we're part of superorganisms, that your failure is not yours. It's yeah. all of our, and we all need to learn from it. Yeah, and we're expected to succeed, right? The that's ego puts us into this place of I have to perform and I have to do my best and I don't want to show any weaknesses or failure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, reciprocity and sharing. Mm. Well, this is my favorite one, and I, I this one hasn't gotten enough um, uh, digging. We haven't dug into this one enough, so I'm going to be writing more books on this. But um, really, the 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 key factor in a superorganism is that we share and we help one another. Um, you know, the in the other apes, there's no uh, child care by other individuals. People don't take care of their other people's children. You know, unless it's a sister or maybe an aunt. Um, but in humans, 50% of our child care is done by others. And so that's a very strange um, thing. And then, 
and then, you know, of course, we have menopausal grandmothers and uh, only elephants and orcas share that with us. So it's a, it's a thing where women live longer without reproductive success. And the need is to um, to to help to provide that uh, that that child care, that reproductive success for the whole colony. So and then you see, you know, two spirit people. Um, it's a whole interesting human thing that we have that we help each other in these ways that are not directly related to our own success and it's really an uh, an insurance policy i mean you never know when you're going to need help and so that's part of the way we live is and even like the youngest babies like 18 month old babies uh know what's fair like if you give two children um older children you know one gets more cookies than the other a baby will see that and react they know it's not fair Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's not true for our chimp relatives um it's 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 very baked into us and then the this darwin noticed this the only thing that really sets apart humans on a biological level is that we blush when we think someone sees us do something wrong so we have this deeply ingrained physiological response to caring about how people see us and whether we're helping and sharing and being fair um mooching lying all those things go into that uh, and that's that's odd. And so um, I think that fairness and sharing is a huge uh, piece of the superorganism puzzle that we struggle with. Wow, that's that's fascinating. I, I, I'm thinking of all kinds of examples here, but um, before we go to break, I want to get this last one in and then we'll we'll dig in a little deeper after break is the fifth one is regenerative value. Mm, that's a good one. Just that, you know, okay, so the human niche, I mean, every species has its niche. Um, and, and as evolution goes on, species become more specialized in what it is they do, or maybe they specialize in generalization. But humans, and I've thought a lot about this, is what is the human niche? And I've, I've come to the conclusion that we're really, we're conscious cultivators of the world around us but also we do it collectively. You know, that is our superorganism niche. So, and what, what does that look like? It's been cultivating diverse opportunities. Well, can we, you know, that we know that native sites have more diversity um, and you can see that. And, but really we've been tending, tending the wild all this time. Um, and that's, that's our niche. We cultivate uh, diverse ecologies. And of course we've forgotten it and we've neglected it. Um, and, and, you know, all the things we used to know about that uh, have mostly been lost. Um, so to me, regenerative value is about stepping back into that human niche and claiming it again and learning how to do it again. Um, and, and, uh, and, and here's an example of the, uh, the termite, Kalahari termites, um, they build these huge towers, but what they do is they gather the grasses all around and they process it. They turn it into compost and it, it, it enriches the soil. It enriches the grasses. It attracts herbivores and those attract carnivores and you get a richer and richer system, um, from these very small scraps, uh, and this collective, um, work. So that's the regenerative value that we bring in shaping whole ecologies to be richer and richer from one generation to the next. Mm. You, you bring up a few pieces right there that I just want to 
presence to right here, right now is um, the the richer value where literally what we create together is way more regenerative than what we can create on our own. Yes. And then the you mentioned earlier when we when we were just getting started about shared purpose and that's another important piece here and you talk about superorganisms as really valuing with shared purpose the future generations that everything we're doing is to leave the world better for for the future generations can you speak more about that yeah, and, and that's right. I mean, you know, the uh, seven generations um, Native American tradition, um, you know, that's really baked into every species is is not only are they trying to launch their own the next generation into the world, but they also have been selected to create conditions where the next generation can thrive and so on and so on. So um and of course, we're no different. We we were shaped for that as well. And uh, um, so I think that's something that superorganisms do is that even if you don't have your own children, you still, as a human, are invested in the collective success of future generations and shaping a world where they can can survive in it. And not just that, but a world where the diversity that we all depend on thrives. Mm. You know, it seems like so shared purpose and, and tying it to future generations is one thing, but in organizations and communities and people coming together, um, you work with a lot of groups and businesses, but when we're talking about shared purpose in this way, it seems so simple that this, and, and really logical, that a shared purpose can literally transform the community and the organization and people get, we see it with natural disasters and tragedies and coronavirus. We're seeing it on a great big scale here. And imagine then harnessing that into an organization where people get behind that goal for the future. Yeah. And I, and it's really natural to us. I mean, it's really the way we work and makes us happy when we work that way. Uh, and, and it's really, it's this efficiency mindset, um, that has, you know, come out in the last 5,000 years or what have you. That's really uh, uh, subverted and destroyed that that infrastructure, um, but it's still it's still who we are. So it gives me a great deal of hope because I don't think you can really stop it. Yeah. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, this is a, a beautiful place to take a break. We're going to take one quick break. And when we return, so much more with Tamsin Wooly Barker. And her book is called Teeming How Superorganisms Work to Build Infinite Wealth in a Finite World. We'll be right back. Wildfires burn millions of acres each year. And each year, wildland firefighters like Fire Chief James Hall battle to contain them. But they can't do it alone. A single ember that escapes from a wildfire can travel more than a mile. It can ignite and destroy your home, your community, or more. That single ember can be just as dangerous as the wildfire itself. But you can do something firefighters can't. You can act now to prepare your home and your community for wildfire. 
you can reduce the risk. Do your part. Go to fireadapted.org. Get Fire Adapted. Learn what you can do now to reduce wildfire damage later at fireadapted.org. A public service message brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Learn more at fireadapted.org. If a disaster struck right now, what would you and your family do first? Would you stay where you are or leave? What if you and your family were separated? Would your kids know what to do? How would you get in touch with them if your cell phone isn't working or the subways aren't running? Don't wait until a disaster strikes to figure it out. It's your responsibility to make a plan for you and your family ahead of time. To learn how, take our readiness challenge at nyc.gov slash readynewyork or call 311 for information. In this online tool, you'll be faced with real-life challenges, forcing you to make quick decisions at every turn to teach you the importance of being prepared for a disaster. Without a plan, it's like you're putting your family in a disaster. Visit nyc.gov slash readynewyork or call 311 for information. A public service announcement brought to you by the New York City Office of Emergency Management and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Kelly Clarkson, and I've toured the country dozens of times, and there's one thing every state has in common. Childhood hunger. The sad truth is that 17 million kids don't know where their next meal is coming from, or if it's even coming at all. Yet there are billions of pounds of surplus food around the country at farms and warehouses that could help end this injustice. But all that food is useless if it doesn't get where it needs to go. That's why the Feeding America Nationwide Network of Food Banks gathers surplus food and gets it to hungry kids before it goes to waste. But they can't do it without your help. Join me in supporting Feeding America and your local food bank. Find out how at feedingamerica.org. Together we can solve hunger. Together we're Feeding America. To help solve hunger in your community and to find your local food bank, visit feedingamerica.org. That's feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. If you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and perhaps listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Again, that's thedrjulieshow.com. Also, stay connected all week on my Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. I invite you to be a more conscious, courageous, and compassionate passionate co-creator of the beautiful, healthy world we depend on. Come work with me. There's lots of different ways you can do that. And you can check out those opportunities at juliecrawl.com. I am here with Tamson Wooly Barker, and she's the author of Teaming and founder of the organization. Um, you know what? I, I'm going to let you just tell us a little bit about that, Tamson, and okay. how they can find you. Share your website with us, too. Sure. Okay. So my, my company is Team Innovation Group, and that's with two E's, uh, teaming like the ants. <laughs> so teaminnovationgroup.com. Um, and so what we do is, uh, well, we do quite a number of things, but really what I'm looking for is the leverage points on creating a regenerative future we can survive in. And, and, and of course, one of my big um, 
pushes is, you know, climate change. But I think um, inequity is uh, social inequity is totally bound up in that. Um, and, and the machine mentality and how efficiency needs to move to resilience. So that's really what we're aimed at. And so how we've done it is um, three main leverage points that I see on it. And one is corporate structure um, or just structure of society in general, because we go from these huge uh, institutions to the individual. And that's really not how we work. We're super organisms. We work in these small groups, these teams, these tribes, these people that are close to us. And we do it in a modular, very flexible way. So that's my first leverage point. And that's really what we've been doing is working with big um, companies on how they can structure um, in a more human way so that people can make uh, more impact um, in the world, in, in their daily work. So that, and then the second leverage point we think is uh, education and opportunity for women and girls. Um, and so we have this bonoborevolution.com. That's um, an initiative for um, finding ways to get women and girls to the table, but also other diverse um, viewpoints, increasing our collective intelligence um, and swarm creativity in that way. And and then the third thing we go to work on is uh, mindset, you know, feel no, just knowing in our bones that we are part of everything. Everything is connected because I do think that's um, ultimately the answers are going to come out of that. So that's yeah. what our company does. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. And um, what beautiful work. I, I love the Bonobo Revolution. How fun is that? And if you haven't seen that, go to that website. It's beautiful marketing. It's so creative. I love it. So thank you for doing that for all of us. All of us. So, you know, I as I was listening to you, too, I was thinking about... Um, those five principles that we've already talked about of how important they are for humanity. And I'm thinking about that in our coronavirus response mm -hmm. of what's happening in the world. And literally, this is evidence of why we, we need to raise our awareness around superorganisms is those five principles give us a map of how to get through this. Yeah, you, I, I think so. Yes. Do you have any? Uh, yeah. Do you have any other thoughts about that? Of what? What? Perhaps our listeners can can focus on, like right now, right here in their communities and their response to coronavirus. Right. Well, I think a lot of it is um, doing things on human scale, being more aware of human scale. You know, anything you can do distributed. Um, I, I have a vision of, you know, can we work in triads? Can we work in modular groups where we know each other intimately and we go to work on what's local and we share that with other modular groups and um, and our communities go to work from the bottom up in that way. So that's one thing. Um you know, diversity inclusion, that's, it, it sounds like a bit of a cliche, but it's not just having the diversity, it's hearing it. Um, and so that becomes culture change of um, no penalty innovation cultures where you're not afraid to say what's, what, you know, just any idea you have. And we don't have enough of that. Um, and then other things like, uh, well, for one thing, it's very interesting, the, superorganisms 
um, have a whole gamut of ways that they deal with parasites um, and, you know, illness. Uh, and and that includes, you know, on the political level. I mean, it, it works on every level. Like, how would you keep parasites out of, of Facebook? Um, how would you... Uh, keep them out of the news flow, the information flow? How do you keep them out of your body? <laughs> and, and the, like ants and honeybees have really mastered those things. And we, we really need to pay more attention to how they've done it because it, it's worked for hundreds of millions of years. How have they done it? Can you, can you give us just a snippet? I know it's probably a really complex answer here, but I, when I was reading your book and you talked about parasites, I was just waiting for you to say more like, oh, show us how, show us how. Like, how do <laughs> ants and bees do it? Well, that's another book. But <laughs> yeah. So, so, so one thing is like, for instance, the um, mycelial networks underground, the, the fungus underground. They, they live in these very dense um, networks, and um, mostly they are genetically distinct. They are not clones. So they're like us. We're connected by the Internet, and we shuttle resources and information around. So it's, it's not um, that unlike it. But how do they connect with each other, and how do they connect with the trees they they work with and they do it. They have 12 different genes that they match up. So that's a bit like a password. Um, but the other part of it is they have multiple, multiple um, redundant s systems for testing and excluding and quarantining. And they never go for 100 um, uh, percent shutdown. They, they cultivate diversity. So they allow some through. They don't go because they don't want to, you know, breed superbugs. Um, and, and so that's part of their strategy is multiple overlaying strategies that are, you know, 90% effective. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to read your next, no, this is probably book number three or four or five because you're, <laughs> you're busy with two right now. But um, thank you. That is really interesting. I, I want to learn more about that. And some of them are physical barriers and some of them are um, social barriers. Hmm. Fascinating. You know, another, there's so many fascinating things. I had a, a list of things that I, that you piqued my curiosity in the book. And one of them that I think is really fun is um, this idea that living things move toward the edge of chaos, mm. a place where experimentation is rampant and new in every culture and subculture. So human nature is the sum total of everything we do, everything we make, we make, that what we say, what we think, you, you're talking about this. It's not just the lowest denominator. So let's, hey. it sounds like I'm throwing a bunch of stuff in here, but speak more to that, would you? Okay. Well, I mean, coming from an anthropology background, you know, they were always looking for what's universal. What are, what do humans share that other species don't have? You know, are we the tool making ape? You know, are we, and, and, and time after time, it turns out not to be true. There's nothing special about us. Yet we know there is. We know it. We can see that we're not. We are just not quite chimpanzees, right? Um, I mean, you can't put a, a, a hundred chimpanzees on an airplane and and hope they arrive with their ears on. <laughs> Still on. So there's a difference. But um, the uh, um, I'm sorry, I've lost your question. No, that's okay. Let's start with, because I threw a lot. I was like getting all excited about all these fun things I was talking about. But let's talk about that, that humans 
living things move toward the edge of chaos. And that's where all of those solutions emerge. I love this idea. That's right. So, um, you know, because I, I got my start studying hybrid zones. So these two very different baboons would come together and uh, meet and mate and, and generate all kinds of diversity. And so those hybrid zones, you know, living things tend towards that place because there's more opportunity there. There's more novelty. Um, there's there's just more of everything. Um, and so and the same is true for people with uh, cultivating collective intelligence and swarm creativity is the more different kinds of people um, and different uh, uh, silos, I suppose, and different um, studies, areas of study, the more they come together and communicate, um, that's where the juice is. That's where the magic is. Um, and, and I can see it for myself, you know, as a biologist, as an anthropologist, I'm going into companies and talking to people with a very different um, way of thinking. And that's where the magic comes out, things you never thought about. Yeah. I really appreciate that piece. I'm wondering if you have any examples of super organisms out in the world that are organizations. Like, are there any that perhaps our, our normal consciousness is aware of at this point that, that you can demonstrate this? Um, you mean in a super organism? Um, As in an organization, sorry, an organization oh, 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 or a business I see. I see. functioning sure. like this. Yeah, I mean, I, here's one that comes to mind is, um, well, like Zappos has decided to measure the rate of idea flow, of, of collision. They have a collision um uh, number that so they measure how often do you run into people how often do you share information and and that kind of thing so they've explicitly put a value on that um, those ecotones where ideas get get swapped um, but then other I mean you can see that a lot of organizations are becoming more interdisciplinary very purposefully um, like ASU Arizona State um, it's very interdisciplinary. The new biomimicry center there is combines the sustainability department with the business department, with the biology department. Um, and, and so magic just seems to naturally come out of those ecotones because people have never thought of their expertise from such radically different perspectives. And that's kind of the key, isn't it? It's like radically different perspectives, kind of, it's almost like jarring, but it makes us see things through a completely different lens. Yeah. And uh, I mean, even for, for me all the time, I, I that's what I do. I go look for those, those ecotones where I can get some chaos. Something <laughs> new, yeah. Well, you know, another, another um, idea that's really important in superorganisms is this ability to be really transparent and share this open source, just like you're talking about, but literally across boundaries. And we're so good at, at keeping ourselves in silos. How do you coach organizations to be as transparent and open source as possible and get out of that old paradigm of cutthroat competition and survival of the fittest and, you know, corporate secrets, how, how do you coach that so that we can learn that the more we're transparent and open source, the more we can literally discover others? Right. Well, I, we're at a tipping point right now, and I'm seeing it, you know, daily in my work of companies 
that have been operating on a need to know basis, um, suddenly realizing that they can't get the agility and innovation they need with that kind of siloed information structure. Um, so they're, they're really getting kind of desperate. Like how can we, uh, allow all of our employees to know what's going on in a safe way? Um, and then empower them to go to work, uh, where they need to locally and take out those middlemen and, and take and, and really drill it down to more self, um, initiation and, uh, um, diversity uh, it, within shared purpose. So it's hard to do because, you know, of course it's all very territorial and you, you really don't know who your employees are necessarily that how much safety is there. It's um, you don't know. So it's very hard, but there are ways to do it. And a lot of it is uh, when I'm working with these companies, it's a bit of faith, like just, just try it and see what happens. And, and they can do it in uh, smaller um, groups and then grow it up. But um, they, they have, I have seen in the last six months, they get it and they know they need it. And so they're trying to find ways to do it because it's, we can't have resilience that we need without it. Yeah. Resilience is an important word here, I think, along with regenerative value. I think those two are so important right now. And I'm thinking about something else that you mentioned in the book about good leaders. I have a quote that you have. And thinking about the old paradigm of leadership that is breaking down is so um, patriarchal or autocratic. And, and you say, when talking about how to catalyze consensus, you said good leaders must be generous, kind, and respectful, and completely absent of temper. Honesty, patience, humility, and fairness are considered essential. And opinions should be couched as suggestions, not commands. Now, this is really different than what we have seen in the past. How are leaders receiving this from you? Does it fall soft on their ear and they're open to different leadership styles? Uh, yes, I am seeing a lot of openness to this, although people aren't generally trained how to do it. That's a whole nother matter. Yeah. Um, but it does help that the, um, you know, Stanley McChrystal, um, the general ran the, uh, the task force, Iraqi task force, um, implement, he implemented this. And it, they got 17 times more um, effectiveness uh, and speed from it. So now it's accepted at that level. You know, if the military will do it, it must be, it must be okay. It's not too hokey. <laughs> really? Like my husband said, yeah. Yeah, retired vet from the military. I can't imagine that. That's amazing. No, the military. Yeah, yeah, and he did it, and he drove the uh, transparent information flow way beyond what any any of his superiors wanted him to do, but he did it, and then he um, actually taught uh, everyone how to critically think for themselves and go to work on what they thought was the right thing to do, and so that greatly increased the agility, and I, I think so I think that's that's really what we need to be able to do right now because um, that efficiency mindset is just 
de just depleting us of the diversity that we need. That's the insurance policy for the future. Yeah. Well, even just listening to you today, I'm thinking about the argument of do you want to stay an organism or do you want to stay, do you want to become a super organism? So do you want to become an organization or do you want to be a super organization? And that is an important question. Right. And and even, you know, where are we going with this? Like, like I know ABA um, 5 in California you know, I'm seeing all these groups where the individuals charge the clients themselves and they're really not employees anymore um, because companies can't afford to hire them. So then it becomes, what's the point of a company at all? What is a, what is a company? Um, but, but I do think that there's a, a role for it. And this, if we can get companies to occupy that super organism niche again, and to help us learn to reclaim it, you know, it's, it's, we've survived 3.8 billion years of evolution, just like every other species. So I, I know we have it in our bones. Um, and I, I think companies are positioned to, to help us get there. So do we have a need for large, large corporations? Ah, um, well, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we have Okay, we, we can have them, that's fine, but we need to structure them um, much more finely inside so that you're working with the same people, you care about each other. Um, I mean, I would like to see employees hired as triads instead of individuals, you know, because right now we're in completely incentivized to compete against each other. And then when the company doesn't you know, you get a better deal somewhere else, you go there. But really, we should be working around shared purpose, like what matters to us. Um, and a lot of what matters to us is is our relationships. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so just I'm thinking about this idea about corporations. And then earlier, you said you care deeply about climate change. So I'm going to have you... <laughs> Expand on another quote from the book, because many of our listeners care deeply about the environment, too. And you said something really interesting that I think will make many of our listeners pause and think twice here. You said, I like to think there's nothing about us that isn't human nature. Our smartphones and video games and plastic water bottles and air conditioners. Everything we do in every culture and subculture is us. Human nature is the sum total of everything all of us do, make, say, and think, not the lowest common denominator we share. Right. And I, and I do believe that, you know, it's, it's, it's not just the fact that we blush when someone sees us not put a quarter in the coffee can. It's, it's everything that we do, you know, and, and it's our creativity and our human nature that has made all these things i mean it's quite amazing what we've done we're pretty cool um and we have the ability to do all these things and but then the question becomes with all this talent that we have um for imagining and creating and collaborating and helping and sharing and all these amazing things that we have art um what do we want to do with it you know it's it's do we want to um, spend that talent 
creating new uh, operating systems that I can't figure out? Or <laughs> do we want to <laughs> <laughs> much more we can do and so uh, for me like my my point now has really become how can we become more human instead of less beautiful um and and you know that means how do we re-embrace and reclaim that human niche of cultivating diversity collectively for the future yeah, with that shared purpose and that reciprocity of service and sharing. I love that. Yes. We have to reclaim that. And and so much of our efficiency um, mindset that we live in drives that out of us. But we're not happy because that's not us. Right. You know, I'm just thinking about th- that and thinking about human nature when you were talking about that kind of creativity. And we have this 17-year-old on the west coast there that created this global website tracking coronavirus like wow how cool is that yeah and he's just giving it to the world as a service where everybody can literally find to the moment information it's updated every minute it's amazing that's super organism potential right there isn't it yeah but i feel like that's our nature and if you left us alone to do that we would do that and it's mm-hmm. it's we've got this mentality of like, well, that's stupid. That's pointless. That's a, you're a sucker. You're going to get taken advantage of. And and that is part of our erosion of our um, humanity. Yeah. Well, Tamsin, we just have a few minutes left here. And um, this has been a delightful conversation, hopefully the first mm-hmm. of more than one, because I am so fired up about what you're bringing to the world. Um, in one minute or less, because I have a really beautiful quote that I want to leave our listeners with, but in one minute or less, is there anything more you wanted to say that you didn't have the opportunity to say today? Um, well, I, uh, I, I do feel that we need to have hope. I think hope is the big thing that, that um, it's so easy to lose. And, and, and I think that where that hope's going to come from is the fact that we did survive for 3.8 billion years, just as every other species has. We are part of the fabric just as much as every other species. And our way of living works. It's just that now we've let it get glad, let it get away from us because it's become in service of stockpiling and um, efficiency. And that leads to inequity. And then that erodes our uniqueness and the special things that we each really need to bring to our superorganisms for them to just, you know, explode and blossom and regenerate, you know, value in the future. So I feel like we have all the ingredients we need. It's just now we're at a tipping point. I feel like it's actually exciting. I'm pretty optimistic about it. Um, And uh, I think that human nature is going to take us through going to get us there. Beautiful. But it's going to take all of us. It's going to take all of us. It's going to take all of us. Thank you, Tamsin. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Dr. And I want to leave you listeners with Tamsin's words from the book Teeming. Meanwhile, beauty and goodness, morality and meaning are what each of us chooses to make it. Art and poetry, music and words, love and family, kindness and humor. These things have no real value beyond the purpose and pleasure and richness and comfort we give to each other. 
in our short time on earth. And what more could we want? Simply more of it, more for our children and all of the children on this planet, no matter how distant our ancestors, just more. You've been listening to The Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Remember, together we are creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now.